You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. We're going to be in the book of Exodus, which is a very strange place to be for some people as you come in as a guest speaker, but it fits right into kind of my personality. Um, I just want to talk today, and um, as we look at the book of Exodus, the first thing we need to do is we're going to be in Exodus chapter 15. We need to remember the context. Anytime you're talking about the Word of God, you need to understand the context. This is where we are in the story. What had happened is, is way back when the, the Israelites decided that they wanted their own king. And so, um, and, well, let's, 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 go, let's go before this, okay? Um, what, what happened here is the Israelites really started having trouble, and they got taken into Egyptian captivity. And they are, they are slaves by the Egyptians, and while they're there, they're having to build things, do stuff. They are literally the slaves. These are God's chosen people who have been brought down into this place of slavery. They had begged for generations for God and to, to come and to rescue them from the slavery. God came and did that. There's these ten plagues that happened to the, to the book of Exodus. You can read through those. I'm not going to cover those this morning. You can read through these ten plagues that God did to open Pharaoh's eyes, to harden Pharaoh's heart, so that he would actually release the Israelites so they could go and go to this promise land that God had, had, had made for them. This promised land that God had intended for them. Alright? You guys with me here? And so, as they're going to this, as they're going here, as they're removed from, from the Egyptian captivity, all the, all the restraining, all the, all the turmoil, all the heartache, and, the, and, and everything they went through in this, in this slavery, and are removed, they're heading toward they're heading toward the Red Sea. Okay? And what, what we get at here is, um, it's very important for us to understand where they're going. Because the Israelites are going someplace, and God is leading them to that place. It's a place of dwelling. It's a place of rest. They were, in, they were in a place of oppression. They were in a place of slavery, and now they're heading to a new place of rest, and God is going to be the ruler. They no longer have a Pharaoh that's bringing down the law on them. They're going to have God as their ruler. God's presence is leading them. A cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. God's presence is leading them, and they're going to a land. This land is called the the promised land is what had been promised since Abraham and is, and is brought forth before them so that they could have the place that they knew was going to be theirs. That's what lies in front of the Israelites, okay? That's what's in front of them. But what we hide lies behind them are the Egyptians. Pharaoh came to his senses and said, hey, whoa, wait a second. My meal ticket is walking down the street, okay? I better go back and bring that back home. And so we have the story of them crossing the Red Sea. You might remember the story. They get there and they're like, what are we going to do? And then Moses says, don't worry about it. God's got this. The waters part. They walk across the Red Sea. The Egyptians are following behind them. These are, this is right about a million people, okay? You understand this. They're, the Egyptians are following behind them. And they're like, oh man, they're going to get us. And God says, no, no, no. Moses lowers his staff. The waters come and it washes away all the Egyptians and their problems. Life is good. Everything that had oppressed them in the past is dead. Everything that they were waiting for all their life is in front of them. And there's nothing else they could be desiring. The bodies are floating in the water of all the Egyptians. And in chapter 15, we start with them celebrating. They're celebrating. They burst into songs of victory and dances and singing. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 1, it says this, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has been thrown into the sea. Can you just hear the song? Can't you just hear the joy? So much fear that they just were released from. So much oppression that they just had got, got, got freedom from. They have the promised land in front of them. What could possibly go wrong now? Life is good. But wait. Wait. There's the journey. Isn't that the way it happens in life? There's the journey. In, the, in this passage, it's, it's, it's the journey through the wilderness. Oppression is behind them. The promised land is before them. But what they're in the midst of right now is a thing called the wilderness. Wilderness has a way to bring out what they crave. The wilderness has a way to bring out what they desire. The wilderness has a way to bring out what they expect. It has a way to bring out who they are deep, deep inside. 
wilderness wanderings, whether it be in the Israelites' lives or in our lives today, have that effect to reveal what our heart is longing for. You ever find that? As you get in this place of just wandering of like, what's next? All of a sudden, your true colors start to come out. It reveals what your expectations are in life. And if they are or are not being met. The wilderness wanderings have a way of revealing and challenging and testing your faith in ways that have never been tested. They have a way of exposing the ultimate object of your faith. What is it that you place your faith on? What is it that you have built this Christian life or your life on to this point? What is the object that you are resting your faith on today? And as we wander from the cross... See, the cross is where our oppression was at, and it's there. It's like the Dead Sea's all, like the, like the water of the Red Sea, washing it all away. We think everything is gone, right? Because of Jesus Christ, everything is gone. Our oppression is gone. The sins, what has been chasing us, is gone. As we wander from the cross into the promised land, this is the wilderness that we're in. It's called life. Tell me, does this, does this cycle sound familiar to you? Listen to this cycle. Life becomes different, difficult. Something unexpected happens. Your response to things becoming difficult is to grumble and complain. Then God shows up. He changes the situa situation. You make it through. You worship and you praise God. And then you forget. Then life gets difficult. And what do you do? You grumble and complain. And then God delivers you. And you praise God. And then you forget. And then life gets difficult. Anyone else have that cycle in their life? I have that cycle in my life. No, I didn't wiretap your life. That's not the way it is. I'm way too busy with my own self-inflicted issues to worry about yours, okay? All right? I didn't wiretap your life. This is the human cycle. Fear comes in, and it begins to struggle, and it attacks our faith. We know that salvation, or we know that the cross was real. We know that we are released from that oppression. We know that's real, and we know the promised land, or we know that heaven is real. But what is most real, and the struggle in right in front of us, is life. The cross is real, heaven's real, but what about now? The wilderness, the wanderings. An active awareness of God's grace can keep us from struggling in the wilderness. Let me say that again. An active awareness of God's grace can keep us from struggling in the wilderness. In this passage we're going to be reading through, there's going to be two crises that we look at. Okay? One is a shortage of water. The other is a shortage of food. And then when we see, we see God who has a shortage of absolutely nothing. He comes in with His mercy and His grace and He rescues and He provides. The first one is the test of thirst. In Exodus chapter 15, if you want to turn there with me, Exodus 15, 22 through 24. It says these words, reading from the Word of God. Then Moses made Israel... Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. Okay? The Red Sea had just... All the Egyptians dead. The oppression's gone, right? We're at that story right now. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah which means bitter water. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we going to drink? Dude, I'm thirsty. The wilderness, this wilderness here is, is, is not like what we think of like trees like that. The wilderness is, is a desert land. It's, it's a complete desert land. It's a wasteland. They've went three days with little to no water. To understand, we would be like, why are you complaining? To understand, why don't you just go stand outside for three hours? I'm not telling you to walk around. Just in this heat. Stand outside for three hours and don't drink anything. I guarantee you'll come in complaining, all right? All right? You'll complain like a four-year-old little boy. So what's going to happen? They sing. All of a sudden, they, 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 they stand there with no water. Three days, they come to Marah. They see the water. They rejoice, and they praise God. Finally, right? Water. They drink the water. It's gross. It's bitter. Do they sing again? 
No. No. Do they remember what God had done for them in the past? No. 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 What do they do? They grumble. They complain. I know what you're thinking right now. Goodness gracious. Are you really going to give a sermon on grumbling? Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give a sermon on grumbling. Is it really a big deal? Yes. Yes, it is a big deal. It doesn't seem like a big deal because all of us do it. It's, supposed, it's, it's what we're supposed to do when life gets hard, right? We complain, right? That, that's just not natural. And when somebody complains about it, as long as their issue it seems, seems like legitimate to you, it's somewhat okay, but most likely you have something you can complain about worse than them because your life has to be worse than their life. And so it's okay for you to grumble, not them to grumble. You know, we got this grumble argument going on back and forth. The desire for water, hear me out here, the desire for water is not the problem. Is it wrong for anyone to desire water? No, that's the way God made us, to desire water. We often ask the question in our lives, don't we? Where is the relief? My life is hard. I'm waiting on you, God. I just came from something. I'm trusting you. I just walked through hell and I'm trying to get to where you want me to be and I get here and the water is bitter are you serious God I just need some relief their desire for water is not the problem what the problem is is what they are doing to get the water they don't plead for God for water they could stop right there and say God this water is bitter could you please give us some different water no, they, 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 don't, they don't ask God. They grumble against Moses. They don't pray. They complain. What shall we drink? They grumble. Why do they grumble? Because they expect something better. All the more shocking for me is when we consider what God had just done for them. Three days ago, they had just tasted God's salvation. Three days ago, they had just encountered God's power like none other. Three days ago, they had just witnessed God's hand at work in one of the most miraculous, awesome ways you could ever imagine. How quickly we forget the songs. How quickly we forget the prayers. How quickly we forget the confidence in God. This is so true of our culture today, it's ridiculous. So true of my own life today, it's ridiculous. How quickly I forget what God just brought me through because I'm not getting what I want now. It's what have you done for me lately, God? So what should we do when we're experiencing needs? What should we do when we're experiencing a lack of resources? God said we should pray. He says, just, just ask me. My kids will come in, six kids, all right? Six kids, there's, there's bound to be a whiner in one of them. They all whine, they just take turns so they can continuously annoy me, okay? All right, all right? And so my, my kids will come up to me and then, then they'll start whining. I'm hungry. And I'm like, my exact words almost every time after I go, bite your tongue, Mike, is this. Could you please just ask me for something to eat? <laughs> like, oh. Dad, can I have something to eat? Yeah, sure. Grab it. <laughs> What's the whining about? And God has to be the same way, doesn't He? Why did you do God's like, why don't you just ask me? I am God, He said. I created all this stuff. You think I can't give you? You think I don't care for you? We should pray to the one of untapped resources. But as the people grumble, what does Moses do? Moses prays. Let's look in verse 25. Exodus 15, verse 25. Here's how it reads. And he, that's Moses, cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. <coughs> a log. And he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. God responds with the absolute perfect supernatural provision. God uses a log. <laughs> choose a log in this situation. Seriously, anyone out there, any Boy Scouts out there? I used to be a Boy Scout. I, they didn't teach me throw a log in bad water and it makes it taste good. Okay? I've tried it. I've tried stirring sticks and stuff. It, does, it doesn't help. 
Logs and water do nothing. Can you imagine the people there are grumbling? Moses, we're, we're, we're thirsty. This water is disgusting. Moses comes over and picks up this log. Ugh. What are you doing? I'm going to throw in the water. It's going to make it taste good. <laughs> what is this? What kind, of, what kind of story is this? Why would you even? I mean, this is destroying. This is, this is absolutely, it, sh it should humble every type A personality in this room. Okay? This should not work. Great solution, Moses. Great. Where's the Egyptians? You think they just kill me now? All right? All right? I just don't want to die a slow death. Take care of this. But here's the deal. God says, I will provide for my people. And when God provides for his people, it's in a way that is inexplicable. Because when it happens, God says, you will know it was me. Never since has a log been thrown in water and made it taste good. Never since has anyone even thought of that. They've read it in the Bible. They're like, that doesn't work. <laughs> and God said, yeah, it does. It does when I tell you what to do. God will provide for your people, for his people. God will provide for his people. Say that with me. God will provide for his people. Maybe not like you expected. Maybe not like you expected at all. But in his perfect way, in his perfect timing, he provides. And this is all done by what? It's done by grace. Not because you deserve it. Not because you've earned it. Not because any of us deserve anything. What we deserve is probably a spanking to be sent to our room, right? But God comes down. He says, no, I'll give you mercy and grace because you are a grumbling people. He could have judged us, but he chose mercy. So what's the problem? God shows himself like this over and over again. What's the problem? Well, for me, the problem is the waiting game. Amen. <laughs> right? Amen. God, I'll, show, I'll, I'll trust you if you can show me what you're going to do, maybe a step before I wonder what I'm going to do. <laughs> you know? God, I'll trust you if it's that, if, even at the moment, if I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. If you're just like, boom, and give me the right answer, even if it's a log and water, I don't care what it is, I'll try anything. If you will just do it then, when I want, at my time, in my way, in my expectations, the problem is I don't like to wait on a solution. I like my own path. I got this covered. I can handle this. We are so desperately looking for water on the next horizon that when we see something that looks drinkable, when we, when we see something that looks like it's drinkable, we mistakenly transfer our hope from God and transfer it to the object. Let me say that again. We are so thirsty for the water on the, on the horizon, wherever that water is. We are so thirsty for the next thing. We are so thirsty for what our soul and what our body desires. We're so thirsty for it. When we see something that looks like it, we will transfer. We will transfer our hope from God and put it on that thing. I'm so lonely, transfer to a girl. I'm so lonely, transfer to another person. I'm, I'm so, I, I'm so I, I need money, transfer to a different job. I need this, and we transfer, and we transfer, and we transfer. And God says, where do I fit in your picture? When have I never shown myself to be the God that supplies for you? And then when we get there and the relationship blows up, the job blows up, the society, our social status falls through, everything just falls around us, we sit there and what do we dare do at that time? We look to God and say, God, why? What are you doing? Where are you at, God? This relationship is going to be everything for me, man. This was supposed to fix me. We wonder why the water is bitter. We drink, we're disappointed, we grumble. Why? Because our expectations moved off of God and onto some created thing that cannot provide for you. It can't. It won't. It was never intended to. Some of those things were tended to aid. God says, it's not good for man to be alone. Man wasn't totally alone. He just knew man could be closer to him with a mate, in some instances, than not. 
And we wonder, why are our waters bitter? And God says, that isn't where you're supposed to go. Even with our constant grumbling, here's the thing about God I just don't get. I really, I really don't get it. I'm just going to be honest here. Even with our constant grumbling, God doesn't become bitter. May I tell you what? I, I, I really nagging or complaining or whining really don't settle well with this guy at all. Okay? All right? Um, high maintenance. I can be a little high maintenance. That's okay. But anyone else high maintenance in my life is a problem. Okay? And so all these things come on and I become bitter. The living water of Christ will give you the ability to walk through the wilderness. If your hope is not on Christ and it's on the object of your own water, your water will be bitter. If your hope is not on Christ and you put it on the object of your own water, the water will be bitter. Bitterness springs up. You know what bitterness, bitterness comes from? Bitterness springs up from misplaced expectations. When you expect something to provide for you and it's not the living God, it will become bitter. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says this, See to it that no one falls, fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and, it, and by it many become defiled. He says this, don't miss the grace of God. Don't do it. Bitterness will spring up. Why did God allow this to happen? That's my question. I mean, He's leading this Israelites through. Why would He let them go three days without water? That doesn't, that doesn't seem like a very caring, providing God, does it? Why were they even at this point? Let's look at chapter 15, verses 25 through 27. Flip the page. Move the page marker. Got it. Chapter 15, 25 through 27, it says this. Uh, I think I need to start back here. And he cried to the Lord. That's Moses cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw in the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule, and he tested them. You hear those words? He tested them. Saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, listen to these last words, your healer. I got to read one more verse here, verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So nonchalant. <laughs> the Israelites were not nonchalant at Elam. They were like, Woo! beach party, right? I mean, they were loving it up. I mean, they were, they were swimming, they were drinking, they were enjoying it, they had shade. It was amazing. Finally out of the desert. But God could have brought them to Elam first, couldn't have He? Surely God could have led them to Elam, not Mara, Mara first, right? But He didn't. Why did He not lead them to Elam first? Because the story was a lesson. He was testing them. He wants His people to have faith in Him only. Not to have faith in water, not to have faith in situations, to have faith, not to have faith even in His creation, but to have faith that He will provide, to have faith in Him and Him alone, in His goodness, in His power, in His wisdom. He wanted them to find hope and substance in the living water, not in some man-made, not in some God-made water, but the living water. It was, this was a training. It was an opportunity for him to show them a better way. Not to lecture them, because he knew a lecture would never get through them, but to give them a visual picture. You think water's going to supply for you when you're thirsty? No. God supplies. Because it is through me that water can become drinkable. Finding provision in the wilderness is meant to inspire us to obedience. 
God provides. Amen? Amen. But here is, listen to the statement. Grace always precedes obedience. What I mean by that is God's grace always comes before God's call for obedience. He will always offer His grace first and then say, Now that you've seen me, will you trust me? Now that I have shown you, will you come along? God shows His love and His faithfulness before He calls us to show ours. God has been working in your life for years, maybe decades, for moments, whatever it may be, before you ever have a desire to follow Him. He says, I come first. The call for obedience or the walk in obedience should always then call for more grace. So here's how it works. God says, I have grace. I will give it to you. And you should say, oh, because of that, God, I can see you and I will trust you and follow you obediently. And all of a sudden we get to a tough time and you say, God, I saw you. Now I'm struggling. Can I get some more of that grace? And God says, you better. You. you saw it, you got it. And God gives more grace and we can take the next step. But if we don't ever recognize that God's grace comes first, what we'll do is we'll walk our own path and try to do our own way and we will fail. You see, God has already saved them from the Egyptians. The question is, will they listen to His voice? He says, if yes, there's a promise for you. If you're not a Christian today, Jesus is the answer for salvation. There is no other way to heaven. Your need is not water for your thirst. Your need is not food for your hunger. But your need is for a Savior to save you from God's wrath towards sin. Jesus came and He took the judgment. And He took in the wrath of God, He took that away so that he, he would be the perfect sacrifice for those things. Not because you and I were good enough. No, we have never been good enough. But because He loved us so much to take our place. And He promises He will come back. And when He comes back, He will take us to be with Him to the true promised land. Between the cross and the promised land, we are walking through the wilderness. Between in the cross and the promised land, there is this wilderness. And it is called life. He hasn't called you and me because we're special. He hasn't called us because we're good enough or made the cut. He called us because He alone is sufficient. And He wants to supply for your needs and mine. He called us because He is salvation. And salvation is for all man. And as we walk in His grace, we are called to obey His voice. That means we are not okay to do whatever we want to do. No matter how much you want to. No matter how good it feels. No matter how hard it is to stop. Obedience comes after grace. God gives His grace. We must obey. And as we walk in His grace, we are called to obey His voice. Here's the amazing thing in all this. This is just amazing. It just blows my mind. Here's what it is. God administers His grace to the Israelites while they are slurping up the doubt-induced water that they so longed for. Isn't that crazy? They're sitting there grumbling, and God gives grace, and they're slurping up this water, the very water that they thought would take care of their needs, that didn't take care of their needs. God administers grace through that very thing. He says, you think I'm not God? That which was only meant to be bad for you, I brought it around. And I let it supply for you. You know why? Because I'm God, not water. I'm God, not this thing in your life. He gave them the drink despite their grumbling. He was still merciful in the midst of it. He wanted them to be filled, but He wanted them to know it was His love for them that provided it. And if they're ever in need, don't grumble. Just ask. Why didn't you just ask? Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Do they worry about what they're going to wear? You don't even look as good as them. God said, I got you here. Will you follow God by listening to His voice? Will you follow God by listening and following His word? Will you follow God by trusting the Holy Spirit? We may not know what happens tomorrow and beyond, but He will provide. 
So do they get it? Do they get it? Here's the next test. The test of hunger. Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. They set out from Elam immediately. Okay, The first time they traveled three days and they're complaining. Here they're in Elam. They're setting out from Elam where the palm trees are at and twelve springs. They set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. What great words for wilderness. First one, you know, was sure. And this one's sin, alright? He came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. Remember what happens at Sinai? is where they get the Ten Commandments, okay? So between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month that they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of people, listen to what happens in verse 2. They had just left Elam. They had just saw God's hand at work again. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Listen to what they say. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Wow. Kind of irritable, aren't they? <laughs> 45 days. 45 days since they saw God deliver them from Egypt. In the process, he parts the Red Sea, kills all their enemies, supplies water from a log, and then supplies more water with some, with some stuff. And what they do, the food crisis comes. They, start, they, they go from complaining to full-out accusing God. They go from complaining to accusing God. The food crisis has led to a faith crisis. They challenge Moses, they challenge Aaron, and they challenge God's motives. They throw an all-out, bona fide, big-time hissy fit. You know, it's hard not to go without food. It's hard to go without food and not grumble. Right? I mean, my, my wife has a word for that for me. It's called hangry. Hangry. <laughs> when, I need, when I need food, it's like feed the monster. Because um, I, I, I become this, this horrible, horrible thing. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. It's hard to go without food and not grumble. But the Israelites go past grumbling this time. They, re, they rewrite their past. They look at the days in Egypt like it's a vacation paradise. That, that, that verse 3 there is ridiculous. Listen to this verse 3 again. And they said, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the, hand of Egypt, in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. That's a lie. That's not what happened. They were slaves. And they not only rewrite their, their, their past in this passage, they rewrite their future. You brought us here to die. Really? Really? You think if God wanted them to die, you think he wouldn't have killed them off already? I mean, God's sovereign. He knew this day was coming. You think if he, if he was like, oh man, they're going to complain later. Don't you think when they cross the Red Sea, just let the Egyptian catch them, walk them all away and say, oops, too early. Right? Okay? He could have done whatever he wanted to do. The test of hunger isn't a test of should you or should you not need food. Of course you need food. The test is supposed to reveal if you tied his provision to the character of God or if you tied it to an object. What are you trusting in? The Israelites, they grumble. Let me say it this way. Grumbling is a sin. It's not just a drop in blood sugar. It's an overflow of the heart, Luke chapter 6 says. And what happens is because of this, they blame it on something else like we do. And they have a skewed perception of the facts. Sin skews the perspective. We're really hungry. Well, then why can't we say it like this? God, we're really hungry. Yet we know only you can provide for our every need because you love us 
And you've always provided for us. You've never failed us. What would be wrong with that? God, God, things are tight. I know you can do this. I'm going to trust you through it. And whatever your timing is, however you provide, I'll do it. God, this, this stinking addiction, I'm tired of it. And God, I know you're the only one that can truly free me of things. And so if you would, if you could, I'll wait here patiently for you because I know your way is the, not only the best way, your way is the only way I can get through this. I need you. Don't you think, don't you think our God would listen to a prayer like that? As opposed to complaining, blaming, accusing. Sin skews our perspective. It says things like this. God, you're not looking out for me. God, you're not looking out for my best interest. God, you are withholding good things from me. God, why are you helping them and not me? You don't love me as much. And behind those grumblings are these thoughts. We think these things. It's as if we detach ourselves from the reality of the gospel. And then we walk around like atheists saying that there is not a God who can. Do you hear me there? That's what it's saying. When we grumble against our God, it's like we detach ourselves from grace and we walk around like atheists saying, God can't take care of this. God wouldn't take care of this. God's not big enough to take care of this. God's timing wasn't good enough for me. And we, and we must keep the big picture in mind if we're going to combat against our grumblings. We have to. Let me give you an example. I go on a trip with kids in the car. Pack them in like sardines. It's a fun trip. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. <laughs> it starts out so well. We all get in the car. I give seating arrangements beforehand so they don't have to fight over that. And they get in the car and they sit there. We, 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 and we begin to have fun. And then the fun goes a little too far. And then they start grumbling. And then I grumble about their grumbling. <laughs> and then the grumbling becomes the focus of our day, not the destination. And my interpretation of this story is this. I don't deserve to have grumbling like that on my trip. I mean, for crying out loud, this is supposed to be fun. I sacrificed my time, my money, and this is their response. They are such unappreciative little poops. <laughs> I can't believe this. Why would they do this? In verse 8, it says this. I'm sorry. Now I want to go to verse 8. God says that here's the deal. The grumblings were not against man, but they were against God. Grumbling is a statement about what you believe about God. And his intentions towards you. Do you hear that? You, you need to receive these words, please, this morning. Grumbling is a statement about what you believe about God and his intentions towards you. When you grumble, you are saying, God, I don't like the way you're leading me. And I'm going to tell everyone else about it. That's what grumbling is. Considering what the following statements say about God. I'm going to say some statements that we use, or I use, maybe you use too. And I want, you, I want to tell you what these might say about God. Here's a statement. This is ridiculous. I don't deserve to be treated this way. Anyone ever use a statement like that? <laughs> Here's the interpretation that people that aren't part of our Christian faith are hearing when you say that. God is not being good to me, and if He was, He wouldn't have let this happen. Let it sink in, friends. This is what grumbling does to our testimony. How about this one? I'm so frustrated with how this is going. Grumble, grumble. Here's the interpretation. God is not wise... I, of course, am wise and see how things should be done. But God does not have control of this situation. 
How about this one? It's never going to change. Never. Just the way it is. Interpretation. God is not powerful. We've hit the limits of God for here and beyond. So there's nothing He can do. It's never going to change. Right? Do you see how grumbling affects our testimony? People are watching. People are listening. The first one is, says, is God is not good. If God is not good, what is He then? That would mean He's evil. Is God evil? No. The other one is, God is not wise. If God is not wise, what would that mean He is? That God's dumb or God's an idiot? No. The third one is, God is not powerful. What is He then? Is God a wimp? Has God only got mortal strength? Absolutely not. When we think these thoughts, don't just brush them off. Take them seriously in your life, my friends, and humble yourself before God and say, God, I'm sorry that I have grumbled against you and I've not given a true testimony of how great you are in my life. You've done nothing but give me hope. Confess that you do grumble. The good news of the gospel is God in His provision provides forgiveness for even the sin of grumbling. We're not, we're not damned because of this. God says, I, provide this, I, I through Jesus Christ, provide, provide the answer for this as well. God is testing the foundation of your faith in the same way He tests the Israelites here. And He's saying this, can you trust me? When you can't see how I will provide, can you trust me? Can you trust me because you know that I'm good? Because my word tells you so. Can you trust me because you know that I'm wise? Because my word tells you so. Can you trust me because you know that I'm powerful? Because my word tells, me, tells you so. And you see these things. God is always good. God is always wise. God is always powerful. And we need to look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ and His victorious resurrection to see the proof of this. God will provide. He'll provide small means. He'll provide large means. He'll provide a daily means of grace. He'll provide what it takes to give them everything that they will need. Maybe not a huge food pantry, but a constant reliance and His faithful, faithfulness. We need God's grace daily. We don't need God's grace for what hasn't occurred yet. But when we need His grace, He is faithful at that moment. This is the gracious God who loves you. This is the God that loves you more than, more than that relationship, more than that job promotion, more than that addiction, more than whatever you're hoping for, grasping for, and reaching towards. He loves you more than that. God Himself loves you more than you love yourself. I know you, He says. I created you. We need God's grace daily. But here's the reality. We're in the wilderness. Life. Life is hard, isn't it? I mean, life just has a way of marshalling its forces against you, don't you? You, you take two steps forward and you're so excited, it punches you in your nose and knocks you three steps back. And you're like, what now? Don't give up. Don't lose heart. When you look at what God's doing, you're like, it's a log, God. What's a log going to do for my situation? God says, do you trust me? But God, I'm, I'm hungry. There's no food for miles. And the bread starts raining from heaven. That's never happened again. He says, do you trust me? Don't give up. 
Don't lose heart. As you've been walking down this road, you're like, I've been trying so hard. I've been doing everything I can to, to, to allow my faith to be focused on God. I've been going, but I'm getting so weary. I'm getting so tired. My heart is growing faint. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't do it. God says, you're tasting my goodness. You are seeing my faithfulness. This is the God of the universe who's on your side. Do you know who is on your side? This is God. And he says, I'm mighty to save. You know, I, I think about this table down here. I think about the, the bread and the juice, right? And I, you stop and think, like, oh, what's, God, what's God have in mind here, right? Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember me. What's it cool? Is he like, hey, I think it's really cool when you all get together and grab a cracker and crunch it at the same time and slurp a little juicy cup and put it back in. It's pretty awesome, man. Do it all together. It's like synchronized swimming, but synchronized Christianing, you know? It's pretty cool. No, that's not what it's about. God said, do this in remembrance of me. Well, here's my, here's my question for you. What are you remembering? You see, the, the problem with the Israelites is they kept forgetting, didn't they? Not years later, just moments later. They'd forget exactly what God did for them. In our church at Summit, we're working really hard, I'm working really hard with our people to bring to mind what God is doing for them daily. Because I think we, we fall short sighted of that. If we could just recognize, even if it's just one thing that God does for us daily, and we give Him glory for that, it would change our life and our perspective on life. It's really hard to remember. It's really hard to do this in remembrance of Jesus. if you're not aware of what He's doing for you today. You can think back to the day He saved you. That, that's nice. That's nice. But what about, what about today? How, how has God blessed your life today? It's easy for us to grumble about our life today. But what has He given you today? And He says, and now because of that, you can remember. Because it is through Him, through His sacrifice on a cross, and now being our advocate before the Father in heaven, as 1 John chapter 2 says. Our advocate before God in the heaven, coming from God. For on our behalf in ways that we could not. It is because of this that we have hope and we have life. We're going to take of communion this morning together. And our communion here at, at, at the well is for anyone that's a believer. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we invite you to come up with us and partake of Jesus' body and blood. But we also take this very seriously. If you're like, I don't know if I have a relationship with God right now, then I want you to come up too, and Brandon and I are going to be right over here, right Brandon? And we'd love to chat with you, and pray with you, and that's cool. That's awesome. We want to be part of that process with you. We love you. God loves you more. So as we get ready for this, what I'm going to do, is we're, I'm saying come and sit down, after I pray, and I want you to stop, and just think about those things. Remembering Jesus. Not only what He did in the past, but what He is doing 
in your life right now. Don't allow this coming up, being up here to be like this thing of like, oh, I'm beating myself up, I can't do anything. Come up here expecting. Knowing the God that always has provided will continue to provide for your life. Don't allow grumbling to be your definition of life. Celebrate the victory because our God is victorious. Let's pray. God, you are victorious. You are the King above all kings, the Lord of lords. We trust you. We honor you. And we surrender to you. And God, it is my prayer this morning that we come to you, not as individuals, but as a body who, who desires to worship together, to love together, and to be together. God, as we take of these emblems, may we not take of them um, in, in any way except for as we have examined ourselves, as your word says. And we said, God, I love you more than anything else. I know I've failed. I know I've messed up life. But I trust you. I need you. God, I've grumbled enough and it's time for me to stop and to say, God, my life is yours. I can see your hand at work in my life and I want that. Or my life has been so busy and I've been trying to do it my own way but so grumbling, I can't see it and it's time for me to quiet down, to push this nonsense away and to allow your word to speak through me. Allow your son to build me up. Allow your spirit to come and tend to me. Because God, I am weary and broken. I can't do this on my own. God, there are things in my life I thirst for. There are things in my life I hunger for. And God, I pray that you will give us each the ability to not to run after and to, and, and to, and to feed those cravings on our own with the things of this world, but know but to wait patiently on you, Jesus Christ, that you would be the answer. We trust you, Jesus. We honor you and we follow you. So as we come this morning and we take of these emblems, as we surrender ourselves to you, may we remember what you've done. And God, it is also my prayer if there's anyone here who does not know you, I pray you stir their hearts so mightily today they have no choice but to come up and speak with us. That today would be the day that they would be healed. It's in your name I pray. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.